So please welcome Prophet Ed. All right. I hear you're talking about Bible school, and you wonder why would anybody go to Bible school? Well, I just uh, popped in my head now. I was uh, well, the biggest church in Austria. The biggest church was called His People. And uh, that church impacted the entire nation and nations. And still, they still talk about it this day. But that movement began with a man in Cape Town who had a vision to go to the university, big university, and start a ministry inside there. And he impacted such a remarkable lot of young people that touched the whole world. And his people rose up all over the world, churches. That man was in Bible school with doctor. He wasn't a doctor then. He was a pastor then. Uh, pastor Bormerans, Pastor Henry. That's where he was in that church. This man, that, his name is Paul Daniels. He came out of that Bible school that you wonder, why am I going to go to Bible? You just never know what God will do. And the Bible school will give you that leap, that jump in the Word of God. I cannot begin to tell you how powerful it will change your life. The Word of God will bring life to you. And going to Bible school just steps it up. It just increases it like steroids. And uh, we're looking for, we are desperately looking for workers for God's kingdom. That's the one thing we're told to pray for, right? What I'd like to teach you tonight, and I'm going to try and keep it short so I can prophesy a little more, is uh, that God is busy doing things in our life, continue without us knowing, and that He's always busy. You wonder what's going on, and He never seems to explain. The more I study the, the life of Jesus Himself as a man, He had very unusual approaches and techniques in His ministry. For example, up on the mountain of the transfiguration with Elijah and Moses, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to picture myself with this, this episode. Peter, all he can think about, if I was there, I'd say, dudes, and I begin to ask, what's going on? Why are you here? And I begin to ask questions. Peter wants to build a tent. <laughs> Strange. But <laughs> when he comes down the mountain, Jesus says this to them, tell no one what you've seen here today until I'm gone. What is that whole meeting? What is that all about? There were so many things Jesus did that didn't make any sense. And as I get older now and unfold these things, they become more understandable to me as the Lord opens my understanding. And one of the things I want to share with you today, Jesus did many miracles in Jerusalem, but only two of them in the scriptures are actually named what he actually did miraculous-wise in Jerusalem. And they are both have a lot in common, those two miracles that we told about. And I want to explore one with you today. And the miracles, both miracles are done on a Shabbat and a Sabbath. And I know you cannot comprehend what that means. It's something very important to a Jew. In fact, it's so serious. If I took you to Jerusalem, we were in Jerusalem in um, April, I think it was. March, April sometime. We drove through a neighborhood, an Orthodox neighborhood, where everyone wears black. With how old you are, black clothes, black hair, curls on the side, women wear wigs, and they all wear black. It's the Orthodox look. Everybody, boy, child, everybody. They marry their children off as quick as they legally can and have as many kids as they can, as fast as they can, to get the Orthodox community growing and impactful. They believe it's God's will. They're assigned to do the things for the Lord. But why I'm telling you this is, it is common knowledge in Jerusalem that you do not drive through that neighborhood on a Saturday because they will stone your car. That's how serious they take the Shabbat law. Just to give you an idea. And that, that's the kind of thing that Jesus had put up with 
in his ministry with those legalistic Jews. Do you understand? Uh, so the Orthodox Jews. And John, who I'm reading from tonight, John chapter 5, was a very interesting disciple to me. He was only 18 when he met Jesus, a young kid as it were. And he grew to be old, unlike the other disciples, he didn't die as a martyr. He died as an old man on an island called Patmos and in his 90s. And he wrote the book of Revelation there, or had the help of one of his Turkish disciples that with him, that were tending him, helped him write that book. He wrote Ephesus, the theologians want to tell me, in, uh, in Ephesus he wrote the book of the gospel as we know it. His gospel came much later in life than the other gospels did. And so his focus wasn't to try and put down historical events as much as the message, the life of Christ, as he saw it from his own heart and where it was. And so he writes, in the beginning was the word. But in chapter 5, and he's the one that picks up these two miracles in detail, and both were done on Sabbath. And this particular one, chapter 5 of John, reads like this. Are you with me? Chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. When you say that to me, when I read that, a whole lot of lights go on for me immediately. Because you have the seven festivals that we have that Moses requires us to go to. And three of them are all about what we call Easter or Passover. You have the Pascha feast, and then you have the start of the seven-day uh, unleavened bread feast, and then three days later you have the first fruits. So all these things go around the same time, those same celebrations around Easter, but you have throughout the year you have different ones. We had an added one that does not in the scriptures that Jesus adhered to or paid attention to, which we know as Hanukkah. Hanukkah came 170 odd years before Christ, and it's a, I could explain the whole thing, but I haven't got time to teach that to you now. But there were many festivals. Now he went up to a festival, and that's a big thing. So I have to leave this area and walk seven days. It is a major event to go to a festival. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. There are seven gates in Jerusalem. Actually, we have eight now because the Catholics decided to open a special gate for, them, for, them, <laughs> for the nuns to get in easier. The gates were too far apart from their little monastery. Anyway, so we have eight gates, but officially we have seven gates. And this gate, known as the Sheep Gate, is now known uh, as the Lion's Gate. And I haven't got time to explain all that to you. But it's right on the eastern side, just north of the temple walls. The temple was a major issue in the time of Jesus, major, because it was very big, about 14 football fields. To this day, you go to the upper mount, that's how big, it's ginormous. And so they would have, you could have at a festival like this, you could have three million people ascending on Jerusalem. Not uncommon. And up on that temple mount, you could have three or four thousand people at one time. They were sacrificing thousands of sheep every day at festival time. So when Christ overturned the tables, he wasn't overturning all the tables. There was just too many of them. So if you went up, if I described it to you, which I wish you could all see it and go with me to Israel, I'd explain it to you. You'd come from the city of David. There's steps that go up, the holder steps, go up through the five gates. You come through, and as you come through, you come up with a... Solomon's porch behind you, and you have this massive open space, which are known as called the Gentiles, and that's where all these tables have been trading food, trading clothing, trading animals. They'll be trading, trading, trading. And Jesus, when he did it, was a demonstration. He could never overturn all the tables, so it was a demo. Everything Christ did was symbolic, and for specific spiritual reasons. You must understand this. So now there's a gate called Gate Sheep Gate, and it was the Sheep Gate until not too long ago. The Bedouins sold their sheep at this gate because people would come in this gate and they would go to the northern pool, which is Bethesda, right there, and they would 
cleanse themselves and take the sheep for sacrifice. And still, 90 years ago, they were still shelling sheep right at that gate, and it's all stopped. Not for sacrifice, but that's where the Bedouins were. Bedouins are, are people that are nomads that live in tents and go, go wherever they are. And look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. They go from, and I want to tell you so much, and I've got so much information to tell you, I can't get it altered fast enough. Come out fast enough. So anyway, now there's a Jerusalem near a sheep gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And I want you to visualize this. A huge pool. Now, to have what we know as known as a mikvah, you have to have completely pure water come out from underground. And it must not bubble. Now, this one has occasional, because of geographic reasons, it bubbles a bit. So they had to make a second pool that it, where you could actually which is completely calm. And because of the bubbling, a tradition began that the angel was stirring it and people could get healed. So you had these huge pools and five colonnades would be these gazebos of columns, big columns, five of them, porches. It's huge. It's a huge complex. And it says here in the Bible, as you can say, and here a great... Number, a lot of people, of disabled people, used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in the condition for a long time. Learned what someone told him. And he asked him, do you want to get well? Duh. I'm sitting here because I've got nothing else to do. I mean, why would you think I'm Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, pick up, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, picked up his mat and walked. On the day which he took was Sabbath. And Shabbat, the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is Sabbath. The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. Why, Jesus, you couldn't just tend to get up and leave his filthy mat? Why would it take his mat? I don't understand. He <coughs> caused so much trouble, you do, Jesus. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat? The man who was healed had no idea who was, and so he slipped away in the crowd, and, and that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Worse than being an invalid 38 years? Yeah, eternal destruction. Right? Now, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. God is working in your life at this moment. You don't see it. Now I puzzled for the longest time why Jesus would walk into the pool of Bethesda, all these sick people, all these people, and he heals only one person and walks away. He doesn't even preach the gospel to him. How odd is that? Why would you do that, Jesus? Why would you be so involved in his life for that moment and not be more? What about these other lame people? The other sick? Don't you have compassion? How about we have an, a revival meeting, Jesus? Come on. I know it's Shabbat. We could get down with your good self and heal a few people. 
That's what I would have said. But he heals one man, lame man. The other miracle that John tells about is in the other mikvah. This is the northern part of Jerusalem, other side of the temple. The most southern tip is the Pool of Siloam. Wonderful history Siloam has. The main attraction in Jerusalem has always been the water. Inside the mountain, the city of David, is a source of water that flows and has flowed from the very beginning. And that would always keep them supplied so they could build walls and they could keep their enemy out because they still had a supply of water that could not be polluted. Hezekiah, in fact, was the city had grown so much, was worried that they would come and do that very thing. So he had his move the water flow. He actually changed it, got down in the mountain, inside, deep inside the mountain, and they chiseled and redirected the water, and it spilled out to the southern part of the city, which became the Pool of Siloam in Hezekiah's time, right? It's called the Gihon. That's what it's called, that, that source of the water. <laughs> all excited about that. <laughs> so I wondered, and when he, in the Pool of Siloam, which they only found in 2008, by the way, accidentally uncovering a sewage. They found this, this, pool, this pool. And so they found it. So you can actually came and I could show it to you. And so Jesus is in this area and he finds a blind man who's blind from birth. And how do you know he's blind from birth? Does he have a sign? Blind from birth, please give money. How, how do you know someone's blind from birth? They only just stare in the. I have seen people that have seemingly no eyes. They have this receded thing in their heads. It's like the, there's, no, there's no eyeball there. Just little, it's completely deep in there. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Jesus looks at him and says, no eyes, huh? And so it's Sabbath. And he says, uh, I was the creation, creation. Dust, dust, we need dust. My man was made, uh, dust. And he gathers the dust. And it won't stay together, so he spits in it, and he rolls it up, and he pops the eye in. Finish it, Father, I finished it for you. We didn't get the whole thing here. That's what I think happened. But he couldn't see clearly, it was all the dust, so he says, go, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. And this happened on the Sabbath, and the same repetition with the Sabbath, and the Jews getting all upset about him being healed on the Sabbath. And what a fight to believe. He was not buying him, but yes, he was. They're fighting, arguing about this. But these are the two miracles named by John that actually happened. And they both happened on the Sabbath, and they both happened in the north and the south. And I puzzled for the longest time why and what was the possible reason God would do that. Then I found in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6 that when King David, 2 Samuel 5 or 6, when King David arrives at Jerusalem, the last of the Philistines called the Jebusites. That was the last of the Philistines he overcame. They shouted from the walls, you will not take the city. Even a blind man and a lame man will keep you out. So when the son of David came to the city, he was not going to let a blind man or a lame man keep him out spiritually or physically. So he went to the northern pool of the holy pool, the mikvah, and he heals a lame man. He looked for a lame man. Oh, that'll do. And he finds a blind man in the south, and he seals the city because everything he did was for a purpose. Everything was set spiritual connotation. That's why I mentioned we turned the tables. He went, he looked, he saw this whole thing, and he came back the next day having made, the, made a whip. And he could never have turned all those tables. It's just a huge task. It was a symbolic effort to establish something. Same as the 
coming down, people draw pictures of him coming down into Jerusalem and all these palm trees. It wasn't like that. Read it carefully what he happened. They, he sent for a donkey somewhere else and he comes down from the Mount of Olives which is a whole valley going down to the Kidron Valley and up again to going towards Jerusalem. It's a main road there. And that main road, people are going all towards the Jerusalem to celebrate. And here Jesus tells his disciples to put down their garments. And they begin to, then they find palm trees that never have enough garments to celebrate him on this little donkey. And this thing is so small, he's, he's barely sitting on it because his feet are touching the ground. That's how small this cult is. And it's all symbolic because of what the scripture says. He arrives and he finds a fig tree. In March, and he goes to look for the, f- the fruit, and there's no fruit, and he curses the tree. And Peter's all about, ooh, look, the tree died. Not figuring out what, just like on the mount with the, with the transfiguration, he has no clue what's really going on. When Jesus cursed the tree, it was prophetic and symbolic for Israel. Because the fig tree represents Israel and the first fruits, we do have fruit, very tiny fruit. When those leaves come out in March, the big fruit come in October, the the little fruits come out. They're not so tasty that people use them to make jellies with it. They do take them off sometimes and so that the bigger ones can come out bigger. But there's always a little fruit there and he goes and he finds there's no fruit. And Israel was given the command to be a light for the world and they failed. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, more terrible time has never been or will ever be again. If that was the end times, then it will, why is it never be again? It's because it's not meant for the Christians was talking to the Jews. This terrible time began in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. And until 1948, from 70 AD to 1948, the nation of Israel was scattered and it was persecuted. Not just the Second World War, we all stopped there. There was many difficulties throughout the world, wherever they were, they suffered. A more terrible time. It was a season in the door for for the church to be born. And God to fulfill the whole program and plan of God. And Israel plays a, a, a role in all that we are joint heirs with him. It's true. But everything he did in his time, the time that Jesus was born is so perfectly timed and significant. You must understand that Jerusalem was the most beautiful city it had ever been in the history of the nation. Here it was a formidable builder, remarkable builder. He was such a builder and so wealthy and so influential and powerful. He built an entire city. We had the two different harbors for the Jews, Joppa and Jaffa. But he built Caesarea, named it Caesarea after Caesar to win Caesar's affections. And he built it like a Roman city. With everything Roman you can imagine. And then he builds a brand new temple. He has to have a temple better than Solomon's. And he builds the whole platform. He raises an enormous hill and makes a platform for this temple. And bigger than Solomon ever made it. So it could be seen by all. Not to mention all the bridges and all the roads and, and even his own palace. It was a beautiful, it was a, there was a saying in Hebrew. If you have not seen Jerusalem, you have not seen a beautiful city. It was magnificent in the time of Jesus. And that Jesus looked at the city, realized, and the season that was in, they had the Roman oppression. It was a perfect season for them to, they were looking for God. All the scriptures they found, the Messiah was coming and he was coming, but they were not looking for someone like him. It was a frustration for them. <laughs> the scripture says that he had, would do miracles. So in John 10, he's up on this, <laughs> at, at Hanukkah in winter, and he's preaching in Solomon's porch. And they say, the Jews say to him, Stop frustrating us. Tell us, are you the Messiah or are you not? I have told you, we didn't believe me. 
And, he said, and they wanted to stone him because he says he's a son of God. And he, so they pick up stones. And for which of the miracles are you stoning me? Because you acknowledge that it's the miracles that to indicate this. They just can't figure out he doesn't fit the profile spiritually, verbally, religiously of what we want to expect. John the Baptist had the same problem because Jesus didn't fit into any mold. But he preached and he had the evidence of all that God is and was. Do you understand? Okay, good. And so when Jesus so when Jesus gets to the pool of Bethesda and he heals only one man and he heals only blind man and he does it on the Sabbath, it's all because he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's the master, he's establishing spiritual kingdoms and principles. Now, why am I telling you this is because when God picked you, I don't know why he did. I have no idea what makes God pick people. I do believe in my heart that many are called and few are chosen. I believe that. And I've noticed the evidence, the common denominator with every born again, truly born again believer. There's someone they know that really is born again, that petitioned God constantly for them, really prayed for them. Really prayed, not just flippantly or passing, really prayed. If that be true, then the responsibility of praying for those in our proximity becomes that much more burdensome. That we have to pray, really get after it, no matter what it looks like. Because you're sitting here because someone prayed. That's what I believe. God, many were called, but you were chosen. So you're sitting here, and your life has had so many strange happenings. And yet God was always busy. You have said these words. I've come a full circle. Because God's always completing things and doing things. He didn't explain to disciples, well, I healed this lame man because I had to fulfill it. He didn't even tell them or the fig tree. He didn't explain to the disciples. They didn't get the whole program. He was very focused and on target, fulfill all that he was called to do. The moment something deviated, like the 5,000 chanting, making king, he sends them away and goes to pray. The moment in John 4, they tell him, Jesus, we baptize him more than John is. When he hears this, the scripture says he withdrew from there. Anything out off from the target that God had given him he got back on target he made sure he was doing what he was told in John 17 he prays I have done all that you gave me to do he knew and refreshed himself what God had given him and he was always doing that now you're sitting here today and each one of you have the same assignment your own individual assignment God has given you and it's wise for you to pursue what has God given me what does God want me to do We've learned, unfortunately, the whole world revolves around ourselves. And so we have to deprogram it that it's not about me. That's the evil trinity, I, me, and myself. It's evil. The true trinity is God, the Father, the Son. He's the real focus. I'm not important. And then when we do that, the nature of Christ came to, I've come to serve. That's what Christ portrayed. We follow him. We become like him. We don't become like Paul or Peter or John. We become like Jesus. We are following Jesus. We learn what he does. And everything we face, everything, we find out what the Lord would do and how he'd handle it. People don't want to talk about the gender issue that is become a worldwide, real impactful thing going on. The church must not be insignificant. We need to know exactly what the Lord would do and say. Everyone's got different opinions. I thought I knew. Now I'm trying to find out myself. I'm learning as hard as I can. Well, what would you do? What would you do? Jesus, you've got an answer. Definitely. Hello? We're almost apologetic for the gospel. In America, we've got to be politically correct. 
Let me tell you, if you don't, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not going to heaven. End of story. I can't change the Bible. I can't change the truth. The world, the world are telling me every day that what I preach is true. Just by their reaction. I can talk about Hare Krishna or any interesting religion, even Islam. And they find it fascinating. But mention Jesus and watch the reaction. Why do they react to his name? They don't believe in him, but they, they get upset. You can't bring religion to, the, to work. Well, you were talking about Hare Krishna a moment ago. How's that? Okay. And then, and then if you watch any Hollywood movie to this day, if they cuss, there's only one name they use. I would be delighted if they would get mad and say, oh, for Muhammad's sake. Hare Krishna. Because they can't use any other name because there is no other name given. Their whole behavior towards Christianity only tells me it's true and real. And yet we're always apologetic and nervous to proclaim it. Are you hearing me? <laughs> if you want to be a popular person, you can't be a Christian. Because people won't like you. They'll fight you and then they'll thank you once they get saved. It's the, it's the history of mankind. It's the way it is. But if you love the Lord, you'll do this. You will bring the gospel. You'll not be a secret service Christian. Your neighbors, your people you work with, all know what you stand for, what you believe in. You're not more righteous than them, other than being by faith. You're not better than them. You're just redeemed. And they can be redeemed too. Am I right? Now, Jesus had specific plans, and that's why he carried them out to fulfill all things. He said all things must be fulfilled. There's another thing with that Judas Iscariot. What an interesting fellow he was. You know, when Jesus says, and one of you is a devil, no one can figure out who it could be. There was no evidence that Judas had anything off color. He was preaching the gospel, healing the sick, going out with the 12, out with the 70. He spoke it all right, and he may have meant it in the beginning too. But something messed up in his heart. Because they said, is it, uh, is it me? Is it me? Ask him. Ask him who it is. Because they couldn't figure out who it could be. Duh. You don't know your own heart. And Judas gave no evidence. And there are people amongst us that do everything right spiritually, but something gets amiss in their heart. It's very easy for your heart to go astray. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else. Above all else. Make sure your heart, your motive... Your attitudes are right because God has a problem with that. He's not stressed about your struggles. Peter was called and delighted, loved by the Lord Jesus, and yet he had a struggle, so much weakness. And Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me tonight. Boy, why didn't you stop him, Jesus? Why didn't you stop him? Why did you tell him he's going to do it? It's like he had no choice. It's part of the par of the course of his life. And you, you could have found a way to help him out. The, the horror of being such a loser to deny the Lord in a crisis. And you let him go through it knowingly that night. That night. Why didn't you help him? Because God's not stressed by your struggles. He's not stressed by your struggles. In fact, he restored him. He said, and when you come back, I want you to encourage the brethren. He hadn't even fallen yet. And he's already restored. The Lord wasn't stressed about his struggles and weaknesses. It's the wickedness of Judas that was offensive. Because Judas decided clear in his heart, hardened heart, and began to plot the motive and plot his plan. 
And so your heart will reveal who you are. God looks at the heart. So when you fall and stumble, get your little hiney up. Don't sit there and whine and complain about yourself and how what a loser you are. Don't listen to the devil's lies. Get up. A righteous person gets up. Gets up. You can fall, but keep getting up. Don't stay there. But if your heart is not right, get it right in a hurry. You have no place for unforgiveness. I personally believe that not one unforgiving heart will enter heaven. You have one offense, one resentment. You have a, a danger of not getting to heaven. Base it on Matthew 18, what Jesus said and what he said. Very important to God. It's an attitude of heart. Your struggles that you have with your thought life or things that have been struggling, habits you have, they're not going to keep you out of heaven. God's with you and you'll still strengthen you. Sheesh, it's just plain gospel I'm preaching. I don't know why it's so complicated in your faces. All right, let the games begin. I taught enough. So God is busy in your life. He's working all those confusing things. He's busy. He's at work in your life doing things that you don't know. He's, let's, he'll work as much as you let him. Some of us resist him. We want God to do it our way. And he's gracious and patient and kind. Just yield to him. If he, must exp- if he must explain everything he's doing, it'll take so long. You must understand that his ways are higher than our ways. I mean, he's dumbed the Bible down as much as he can possibly dumb it. You laugh. You laugh. But you read it yourself. In the garden, there were two trees. What are we, kindergarten? Really? Two trees? The old crate of hair? Woohoo! Two trees and an angel of flame? Where? I mean, really, that's, that's like kindergarten stuff. Because it's all we can comprehend. And even that we complicate and split hairs and fight about and create new churches because of a, of a split hair doctrine. Do you understand? Yes, he has to dumb it down. He loves you so much. You are so important to him and he's very into your life and he wants to help you and bless you. And he wants to, he will not give you something you ask for if it's going to hinder or in any way damage your eternal life or your journey with him god's always evaluating he wants to give you whatever you want he loves you so much but is it going to make a difference is it going to wear you down is it going to take you away from him he's always doing the best for you he loves you so much i know him personally (laughs) i've got saved when i was 13 and I've had a few encounters with the Lord, not many, growing up. And uh, I wasn't a, I'm one of those spooky Christians that has all these angelic visitations. But the last year of my life, the last year the Lord's been coming to me and, and waking me up and having conversations with me, just very eerie. And he started with this conversation, asked me, asked me a question. And I could not for the life of me think of one question to ask him. I was just overwhelmed with his presence. But I started writing them down. In case he comes again, and he, and he, I did, I did, honestly, and and he and he did come. And my very first question, it's always bothered me. Calvin said has five theories, and predestination always got my, got me, and I had to ask him about that. And I mean, the sophistication of God is beyond your mind's comprehension. God has the ability. To know everything and not know it. He gives you the freedom of choice without interfering. He's able to do way than your mind can conceive. So there's things he doesn't know but knows. I don't know how to explain it to you. But God is way bigger than all of that. He's given you freedom of choice. 
continually. Your life's full of choices. And I've asked him many questions since then, and he's explained, it's like putting a USB in my brain, and I can't, it's too much information for me to download all that stuff. But I've had the most wonderful, and I've, I've just become so content in him. He's so satisfying to my soul that I long just for him. I want nothing else but him. And I, I long for that for you, because it's the secret of contentment that Paul had found. The contentment's in him. And you've got to keep pursuing him. He told me some years ago he loves the gray years. And I asked him, well, what is that? He said, well, all your life you're chasing something. When you're gray, you now have more time for me. And he loves it. He looks forward to the years when you're old and gray that you can give him the tension that you gave to getting a house, having children, raising your kids. All that tension you gave them, you can now give to him. He loves you. He really, really loves you. What's your name? Yeah. Christine, are you in this... Justine? Are you married, Miss Justine? Widowed. And what do you do for a living? You're a hospice nurse. There's a deep well in your life of, I don't know, call it grief, but it's a sadness in you that you're unfulfilled and don't understand so many things. And you're angry at yourself and you harden yourself. And if you only know how precious you are to God, and how much, how gifted you are. Yes, life's had some really thrown you some curveballs, not just a widow. You've had so many things happen to you. It's like stuff keep, and, so, and you wonder, what did I do? What should I have done differently? Why does stuff keep happening? God really wants to fill you and fill your cup to overflow. There's greatness in you. There's greatness in you. And you've got to forgive three people. You've got to forgive God because you hold him hostage deep in your heart. You don't understand certain things from your childhood. And then you've got to forgive yourself. Because you're hard on yourself. I don't know why it is that you're so hard on yourself. You've got to forgive yourself. And then you've got to forgive even your husband for leaving you. You've got to leave. You've got to forgive. Because you're mad in your heart. And it's keeping you from the greatness you were born for. Because you are a great woman. You're, not, you're no ordinary girl. No ordinary gal. You are phenomenal. All right, the games have begun. The games, they say in English, are afoot. <laughs> uh, let me see who can pick people for me. You want to help me, Louisa? This is my, this is my first wife. Stand up. <clears throat> we married 40, 45 years. She just came through a second uh, war with cancer again. We had a lot of uh, chemo the last few months, so... I'm dragging her with me everywhere I can. She's hairless and whatever else, like me, she's trying to compete with me. <laughs> so pick some people, look, look for the ugly ones. <laughs> They're not that ugly. Oh, no, uh, there's a couple, oh, go on, keep going. Pick, stand up, you don't mind, stand up so I don't forget you. Her name is Louisa, we made it 45 years. Other couple, lady with a black head. The black hat? Black hat. Black hat lady. Yeah, who's the guy next to you? Your one? Your toy boy? Stand up, dude. You're just a plaything. Are you blushing? And this side? Second? You come after Kansper out there, Shibol. There's a whole lot of couples at the which in there. Uh, at the end, yeah. Oh, the grey-headed, grey-bearded fellow. Yeah. Grey-bearded fellow, would you stand up, sir, with your lovely daughter? 
She's saying he's really a prophet. <laughs> one more, one more. How about the side with the sinners on? The orange lady, orange sweater lady, right? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, he's clear. Donkey, pie, donkey. Okay, thank you. What's your name, sir? Randy. Randy. And this here is your lovely wife. What's your name? Cheryl. 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 Thank you for marrying him. It was a dirty <laughs> job, but somebody to do it, right? How long are you guys married? 24. Where are you from? Hawaii. Tough life. How can you be from Hawaii? Who wants to leave there? Must have been a hard thing, right? So what do you do, sir? I'm an engineer. And a good one, too. You're a good man. You've been, your journey has been very crooked, turning many curves, and God is straightening it out. But you, none of it was your doing. You have a good heart, a right spirit. But stuff kept happening to you without, outside of your control. And you haven't had a fair deal. People keep misusing you. It's a, even where you work, everywhere you go to work, people misuse you. They don't pay you what they say. They, don't, they make you work too much. It's the same pattern. And the God says, just keep going because your reward is coming. Just keep going. Your rewards are coming. That's God's promise. But God likes you. He likes you. He loves your kind heart. You've always done what's right, even with no one watching. And God appreciates the integrity of your heart. You're a very integrous man, and God's favor is heavily on your life. If you want to value your worth on how people pay you, how much money you get, you're going to miss it. What you've got to look around is how many people love you and respect you. Everywhere you go, you gather friends immediately because there's something in you that draws the, the integrity of your heart. As for you, ma'am, you just want everyone to like you, and it's just not possible. Even... <laughs> Even God, even God can't achieve that. A lot of people just don't like God and he's perfect. But you are a wonderful lady, sweetheart, and you're so generous of nature. What a lovely, hospitable lady you are. Everything you do, you do so well. You have so much love inside of you. It's like God took, took you as a baby and dipped you in a potion of love. You have so much love inside of you to give for everybody, even your neighbors. You love them, and you're kind, and you're forgiving, and, and you're just a blessing. And in your own family, there are those that don't celebrate you. But you must know in the heavenlies, they celebrate, they applaud. I can hear the applause as I'm talking to you. They have such honor for you. A remarkable couple in more ways than one. An asset in every way to God's kingdom. What a blessing you are. God will deny you nothing. So God has broken a curse of repeated disease in your bloodline of, that men get to disease. It's not going to happen to you. Do not be afraid. You'll be fine. Thank you. What's your name, little lady with a black hat? That's what my wife says. Carlin. And this is your husband and his name is? Hi, David. You know, I was just kidding you, right? Okay. What do you do, David? Woo, it's a long title, that. You practice that little sucker a few times, haven't you? And what do you do, ma'am? You volunteer everywhere? And you got children? How many? Three kids. Wonderful. And you're part of this church? You like it here? There's always been a fire in your soul, my sister, always. You've always hungered for God. Something in you happened as a young girl. You were touched by the Lord, and you could never be the same. Always, even when you got off track and got angry and disappointed about things, you always came back. You always came back to wholesomeness because it's in you, in your DNA now forever, to be a woman of God and to love the Lord. You know how to pray. The only thing we need to change now is how busy you are. You, you candle is burning both ends. And you're not getting focused on what God's called you. Your greatest mission is to pray and to touch and pick up broken pieces of people. 
That's your job. And you, there was a time when every broken person seemed to come your way because you have a great compassion and patience with them. And God's rekindling that fire in you again because you've changed so many lives already and it's been such a great blessing. As a sign to you, there is something in your body that's become a discomfort. Before you hit that seat, it'll be healed. It's God's promise as a sign to you. As for you, sir, you've been, you have been yourself rescued by the Lord because the enemy would have liked to have crushed you, destroyed you, physically killed you, and he could not because God has always smiled on you. You've been misunderstood and misused also quite a few times. People don't treat you right, but the Lord, the Lord's with you. God with you, who could be against you? You're a good man, and God is, God is on your side. You're pleasing the Lord. Forget what people say. You, they've been, your, your family, your real family are children of God. Not the family that didn't always understand or celebrate you. You were loved by here. You've, been, you've actually been misjudged and also lied about. People have brought accusations against you which is not true. And you had no defense. But the Lord is your strength and your shield. And God is pleased with you. That's all I can tell you today. Thank you, sir. What's your name? Rob. Rob. And this is your? My daughter, Faffy. <laughs> your name is Faffy? Becky. 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 We have a sheep in the front. <laughs> and how many children do you guys have? You were hesitant. You weren't sure. It didn't roll up three. You weren't sure how many you had? Is that true, sir? You have three. Okay, three boys. And what do you do, sir? You're a pastor where? You're pointing over there. Five or seven miles. Well, it's good to me. Thank you for, the, for your labor of love and the work of God's kingdom. I appreciate that very much. In fact, I can see the battle scars and you can, you know, it's, <laughs> if you kept everybody in your church, you would have a club. Even God couldn't keep all his together. They lost a whole third. That's a big chunk. And, they, and that's amazing. The Bible says there's war in the heavenlies. If you can't keep peace in the heavenlies, you're going to have a hard time keeping peace here. here let me tell you. But uh, you're a good teacher of the word. You're a good pastor. And uh, sometimes you get a little worn out and tired. With, frustrated with people. And the devil tried to get you out of them. And he tried very hard to get you out of them. He worked at it to get you out of the ministry. But the Lord cemented you in for the purposes of God. You're a very intelligent man, which is part of your challenge. Uh, you, th you overthink things and you are really a step ahead. And you're working on in your carnal mind rather than by the spirit man. When you do go by the spirit man, you, you override your head. And you know you've seen incidences in your life that because you want to deal with issues right away, because you're very practical and logical, very practical. And you, that doesn't work for God's kingdom. You've got to let the Holy Ghost lead you. But the Lord is with you and he's heard your prayer. You've been petitioning the Lord lately just for one thing over and over. And God has heard your prayers. And he's going to do what he asks. Now, you say you're, a, you're an executive pastor at a church. It is God's plan for you to have your own church. It's just a season that he's taken you through, and you will have your own church again. And it's part of the plan. And, and you're never going to be Mr. Popular. But you will have a team around you that will always love you. And uh, they will not stop God's plan through your life. He called you. He anointed you. No stopping it. No stopping it. <coughs> As for you, ma'am. I'm so glad you've come through all this stuff and been able to release and forgive because people have done some... The, the sheep have bitten 
the shepherd. There's no question. And the, so you've come through all that, and that makes you angry, but you want to go to war. But you've learned to trust the Lord and to praise him in spite of it all and put back the song in your life in spite of. And you've really gone through a process of giving people by name. And it has pleased the Lord. You cannot imagine how much it affected God's heart towards you because you were willing to forgive each person individually that did you wrong. And there was a whole plot against you years ago. And you forgave them all. So God is your strength and your shield. And that's, the, that's how God set a table in the presence of your enemies. The greatest retaliation against the devil is for God to bless you while your enemies watch. So that's what's going to happen. Now your three boys, two of them are... Go get his one seems to be the quiet one, but the, what's the eldest one's name? Bryson. 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 Where is Bryson now? San Diego. San Diego. Bryson's got a lot of ambition. He wants to do a lot of things, and he's tried several things, and he will succeed. He's got a good heart. He's says a righteous thing that drives him. He does stupid things uh, sometimes, but his heart drives him and he'll always end up doing what's right eventually always because God is with him and he wants to he really wants to please he really does the second one Caleb Caleb's a dreamer he's got lots of dreams and wants to do a lot of stuff and and it's just like when is he ever going to get get a grip and get it down but he's gifted he's got music he's got so much gifting inside of him and God will bless him and the devil will not triumph just leave it to the Lord the third one you called your son you called your son Ethan you were okay with that? <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I love to get you all to relax. Ethan, where's Ethan now? Also in San Diego area? Where is he? Escondido. What does he do? Military. He's got a call of God in his life. And he will work with you eventually. Thank you. That's enough for you to chew on for a day or two. All right, orange little lady, what's your name? Angelique. 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 How old are you? What? Are you sure? 25? And are you married in love? What? Okay, and, and no children? All right. What do you want to do with your life? What would you like to do? Okay, and what are you doing right now? Financial planner. But your school days are not done. It's like you put everything on hold and taken this reel and you smile and you make and you seem all happy, but inside of you there's a lot of weeping and grief. And it's not you're not grieving as much for your marriage as you're grieving for the years that you wasted. You feel like you could have done other things. And I'm here to tell you nothing is wasted. I'm to tell you from God that He's making it all work. He's making it work together. God is forcefully making it work together for good. But you need to make a decision now. It's, in, it's imperative time-wise. That school, you are meant to be some sort of designer, some sort of creator, and that's God's plan for you, whether it's, um, whether it's graphics or whether it's uh, design for buildings, but you've got to design something. You really are very smart. People have always underestimated you because you're not pushy. You'll, you'll have the answer, but you won't tell them because they're not listening to you, so you'll just let it go by. You've got to be a little more assertive, girl. You've got to get a little more forceful, a little more. Can we do that? You're not to move away from here, not time yet, but you are in God's plan, God's healing and fixing so many things, and He's making it all work together for good. Good's coming from this. Yes? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Woohoo!
so much fun. <laughs> my calling and my gifting really is to train people is what I do. I had a whole group here today that came, they've been coming to what we call an encounters. I have very intensified training for people. I have a gift to evaluate where you are and help push you, whatever ministry you have, especially the prophetic. And we have these encounters that only allow 30 people at a time to come for those few days. So look online, propheticlife.com and come. There were some people here this morning that have been coming for years and they are in the full-time ministry because of it. They just kept growing and growing. It's amazing what God did for them. And I can't take any claim for it. It's just what God gifted me with uh, to do. So, and he called me this 40 years ago. That's what he called me to do is train people in the prophetic, but also in the ministry to help activate you. That's what Fire when he does, equip saints for work of service. And I'm doing that. So have a look at that because God's looking for workers. This ministry has generated a lot of preachers over the years. I'm told you about Paul Daniels came from this, this ministry right here and was, it impacted the whole world. It did. Pretty amazing. If it wasn't sin, I'd just worship you. But it's sin. Can't do it. Don't even ask me. <laughs> I'm so weird. I weird myself out. What's your name with the glasses and the beard and the blue jacket, denim jacket looks to me? Was well, a bullfrog. Good friend of mine. And you're sitting with all these ladies... Do, one, two, three. Wow. Anyone, uh, good. Did you know that, ma'am? You belong to him? Right. Could, would you mind standing up so I can have a look at you? Please, a real gander. And Jeremiah, what is your wife's name, ma'am? Sir? Amy. Hi, Amy. What do you do, Miss Amy? I am a speech therapist. At your own church. You don't go to this church? Home church. You don't go to this church? Aw. Do you, you don't do any worship at your church? You have music inside of you, girl. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, it's not only your gifted musical talent, it's you're a worshiper. You've always been a worshiper. You just have a most natural instinct. You, the Lord says you, you make up your own songs. You change words to songs to the Lord, and he's always enjoyed that. You used to sing to, your, to the Lord in the car, to sing to God, to the Lord, and he used to love that. The angels would come and start singing with you. you Lord, you've always had this wonderful childlike heart towards God, and he absolutely enjoys you. He wants you to know that. How many children do you guys have? And are you planning any more? Are you sure? <laughs> All right. So what, what do you do, Jeremiah? At that church there. Yeah, and you're a good man. <laughs> you're very responsible and you stress about everything and uh, keep everything going right. You're very on target. It has to be exactly a certain way. I wouldn't call you perfectionist, but you really focus on everything has to be a certain way. And it takes you a while to change your mind. It's just the strangest thing. You get stuck in a rhythm and a pattern. And once you've changed it, then you don't want to change it back again. You, you just have the, your personality. And the Lord wants to free you up to make you more flexible in his hands because you have so much to offer, such a kind heart. The greatest asset you have is your pureness. You've always had a pure heart, and the pure heart shall see God. 
you feel underutilized and underrecognized, but you're paying your school fees right now. But God's going to raise you up. There's no question. You have a wonderful teaching gift. You don't get to teach, but you will. And there'll be a season when you'll be tired of it, but you'll be a real teacher of God's word. And the greatest gift is your pureness, as I said, and that's what will always touch people's lives. It's no question. You have a very interesting kids, one very loud busy kid talk talk wow I'm, I'm tired just thinking of it already yeah and it's not going to change i hate to tell you it's going to be like it's always going to be like that and wait till they get older they'll argue too it'll be really more difficult and challenging but i do see your family's not complete there's a third baby i want to warn you thank you so much don't frown so it, it's it's i'm not i don't dish kids out I just announced them. You did it to yourself. Thank you so much for being here. You're a lovely couple. Lovely couple. Beautiful people. Thank you for all you that work for the Lord. We need the workers. We welcome them. We rejoice. We thank God. What's your name, sir, with a blue shirt? You got a blue shirt on. No one, you, didn't you know what you had on? Hi, Dwayne. Are you married? Uh, and uh, are you working? Yes. Well, tell me what you do. Uh, I'm a scientist. You're a scientist? Do they work? What do they do? <laughs> uh, find cures for diseases. Find cures for diseases. Not splitting atoms or anything, right? No, no, not on that side. Okay. And you come to this church? Yes. You like it here? Yes. What? <laughs> Did I make you nervous? You're a real blessing. You really are. You're not the best communicator. You're a very smart man, and you're very upright, but you're very scattered when it comes to communication. You forget to tell things, or you tell it wrong, and people think that you're not telling the truth, and you oh, tell the truth. It's just that you didn't, you've got too much facts going on inside of your head, and, but you've got the sweetest heart, and God knows what you have need of. And something, and I know that you were married, and you said, tell me you divorced, but something was in your heart already. You knew this wasn't the right thing. You just, something was echoing in you before this all happened. And you didn't pay attention to that. You knew. And, and so the whole thing was, was from the beginning not a good thing. And God wants to change it. And I don't know if you have a color preference, but God has got someone different colored to you that she's got blind up for you, that'll be right for you. You won't have to explain yourself. We're not trying to communicate. They'll know you and understand you and accept you. They themselves are educated. And it'll be a whole different ballgame that God has planned for you. He wants you to be happy. He really likes you. You've got, you've got a sweetheart. Your life is very busy and you forget things. It's like a real professor. You forget things sometimes. You'll go to the store to get something and you come back without it, just with other stuff. You forgot what you were there for. Because you find something else that got your attention, but you just, the mind's always running 100 miles an hour. But you've got a generous spirit and a good spirit, and you're a good man of God. And any woman that gets you will have a wonderful husband, a very loyal husband. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Thank you, Jesus. What's your name with the blue shirt? Yes. Gloria. Who's next to you in the little, little pipsqueak next to you? The shy, the shy kid, the shy one. What's her name? Him, it's a him, okay. What's his name? Kingston. How old are you, Kingston? How old are you? You seven? Are you married? Do you have a job? 
What do you do? Really? You like school? Are you smart? All right. <laughs> You're much smarter than you think you are. God has got a very unusual career for you up ahead because you have a fearlessness. You have a crazy fearlessness. You will do things that other kids will be afraid to do. Yeah. Just have got a boldness in you and you were born with it. When you were born was a happy day. Happy day. A lot of stuff. The devil tried to stop you being born even. But God had a happy plan. What's your name with the blue shirt, ma'am? Gloria. Gloria. And are you married in love what? Does he know? What's his name? Do you know his name? Kenado. Kenado. Espanol? And how many children? You weren't sure you not you hesitated. Four? Like you're asking me four? Pardon? My nephew lives with me and we have a lot of children. Did you just stand up? Oh. I, I, I love your heart. I love your generous, unselfish heart. Nothing is about you. It's always about everybody else. Always. You can't even talk about yourself. You have such a wonderful heart. You're such a blessing. You don't have because you didn't ask. You need to ask God what you want. God's not poor. You're always grateful for everything God gives you. Ask him what you want. Don't ask him for a Volkswagen he wants to give you a Mercedes. Let him give you what he wants. Let him bless you because you're trustworthy. But you don't, you, know, you don't care about stuff. You care about people. And God loves you. He does. You're a blessing. You're just a generous spirit of every way. You have, say you have three kids and your nephew lives with you? So you have five that you're taking care of. Yeah, that sounds like something you would do. And you'd feed them well and you'd take care of them and you'd really nurture, you'd sacrifice yourself for them. Uh, you have four kids. They're all going to be successful. They, one of them is very lazy to do anything and to learn, to do anything at all. And you've got to put a little pressure on them. Don't be afraid to put a little pressure. You're a little bit too soft. Put a little pressure for their sakes. Do what's best for the kids. God is with you. I don't know. You say your husband's not here today? No. With the kids. And what does he do for a living? Okay. Because God's about to make some changes financially for both of you to help lift you up. You don't want that. You're comfortable. You're happy. You're satisfied. But God wants to lift the little income bracket of your life. He wants to bless you. Got it? Gloria a Dios. Gloria. All right. All right, Miss Cinderella, can you pick two more people for me? Come on now. I know you've lined them up on your head. Rico and Jen. The reason why I often ask the pastor to pick is because often people get, come to church and never get picked. And I would like the pastor to know that and show me out. Show me. So Rico and Jen. Rico and? Jen. Rico is the fellow, right? Yes. Okay. And Jan. Jenny, Jenny, dreams are just a ten a penny. All right, <coughs> and you are legally married, right? And how many children do you have? Three. Three. Got, you guys got rehearsed that one, didn't you? <laughs> what do you do for a living, sir? Uh, retired. From? Navy and retired from the Navy. I thought the Navy was retirement. I'm joking. I've got a grandchild in the Navy, okay? Take it down a notch. Yeah. Did Abigail ever come here with me, Abigail? No? Remember? 
Oh, I think she was here. But anyway, she's in the Navy now. So, and you've retired. What, what would you do in the Navy? Did you know? A storekeeper. Okay. You've got a good heart, good spirit. I, I love the balance in your life. You just keep a healthy balance about so many things. You don't get everything done. You've got a lot of loose ends of stuff you're going to fix and do. You're just not stressed about anything. You will never die of a heart attack. Nothing stresses you. <clears throat> uh, your wife wants everything done. She's organized, and, and if you don't do it fast enough, she'll do it for herself. So uh, just a don't get them done girl. But you care about people and you listen. You have a great gift to listen. When people talk, you hear things. Mama always wants to fix everything. But you listen and you really try to understand. And that gives you that edge of compassion in people's lives. But you're an interesting couple. The two of you are so different. And, and you come all these years together. But you're both chalk and cheese in so many ways. But yet you get along so well. And what a blessing you are. Your home's going to become a haven of salvation. God's going to open up doors in your own home to have a meetings where people will come that, that won't come to church. will come to your house. And there they'll hear the gospel. Because you have that shepherd's heart. And your wife has always got everything organized. And she'll get the teachings out. And she'll get it all done. Because she's always targeting something. Uh, people don't always understand you, my sister, because you're uh, not as people-oriented as you are getting the job done. And, uh, but you, that's the way God made you. You're a, you are an accomplisher, and you've built some things into your own children to succeed and to give them confidence and push them. You actually pushed your kids. You always pushed them to become what they're supposed to become and motivated them, and that was a strength that you always had, and it's worked. It's definitely worked. And God is your helper. He's your physical healer too. He's fixing some things and he's going to use some medical help to fix some things. This is part of the journey. If the car needs new tires, we put new tires on. It's just that simple. Don't make a big thing of it. Get it done. This is a wonderful time in your life. This is the time of fruitfulness and enjoying all the benefits of the blessings of God in your life. But your home will become a real haven of salvation. That's God's plan for you. Thank you. Pick more. Shelby. Orange shirt lady. <clears throat> Hi, Shelby. Are you married? No. Would you like to be? Absolutely. <laughs> have you looked on the internet? <laughs> of course I have. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from, Shelby? From San Diego. Oh, okay, what do you do? Um, I'm a preschool teacher. Preschool teacher, yeah. You've got a lot of fire and love in your heart just want to keep going and nothing's boring around you it's a funny thing about you you can be so organized one day and so chaotic the next it's strange how that is one day a car's organized the next day it's like what happened you know it just you just you have this insatiable desire to live you just live to the max There's nothing boring about you you'll do spontaneous things and fun things and and money doesn't stay long with you i don't know what it is you and money separate company you're always broke you're always you're scrounging for those coins in the car because you can't find it's the funniest thing but you you're alive and people enjoy your energy you're a blessing and a sweetheart because it's, it's there's no ugly motives in your heart and just none since a little girl, you've always been a little Pollyanna, always positive, always happy, always loving, and people couldn't quite grasp you. You did have an a interest before with a male, and was it was a strange thing. You seemed to have a brokenness with him that just wouldn't work. And that's why God wouldn't allow that thing to continue, because he doesn't want you to sit in with a, with a difficulty all your life. 
And so he's handpicked someone. The difficulty with that in your life is that you have a specific taste that gets your attention. And sometimes what seems to be quiet and withdrawn, you don't even notice. And that's why God's got someone that really has been looking at you, but you're not paying attention. And you've got to be a little bit more attentive. It's not it's your own proximity. And so God wants to bring someone in your life that you need, not that you want, because he knows what you need. Do you understand that? Now, you are a little lady and it's in a hurry. You like to move fast and impulsive and your angel's tired already. Because, especially with your driving. Texting and driving doesn't work. It shouldn't work. That's, so your angels sweat a few times. So let's, let's, keep it, let's keep it real, girl. Let's keep it real. God's got some blessings for you. He's got some real blessings coming your way. Do you understand that? All right. Be a wise steward financially. Good. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. <clears throat> Did you have someone in your, your heart, Pastor? Doctor? Is anybody you have in your mind that I should perhaps minister to? Anybody you think I should speak to? Nobody at all? You don't like anybody here? Wow. I'll choose my... I try to get people that don't often get ministered to. That's my issue. I get, always get the same people, it seems to me. What's your name with the blue shirt back there? The fellow with the beard? Goatee. Brandon. Are you married, Brandon? Interesting. Wow. So, Brandon, what do you do? You're a what designer? Graphic designer. Wow, look at that. The word of the Lord for you is to leave behind you what's behind you. You're still in sorrow for things in your life that didn't work out. You weren't treated right. It's true. You've got a nasty little history. It wasn't your doing. But you've got to let it go now. Because he's not in the yesterday. His name is I Am. And he wants you to move on. Because he wants to make it... Be blessed. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to settle down. I know that you go here, but you must settle. Put the roots down because you're amongst family. You're just very, very sensitive. He's very sensitive. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But you've got a heart of gold. You really do. And uh, you get some really some stored up emotions inside of you that God wants to fix and heal. <clears throat> but you've got a lot of ability and talent and God wants you here. You've been walked a very lonely road because you haven't had someone you can talk to and get it all out. But God's going to fix all that. He wants to. Uh, you don't think you're good enough, but you certainly are. You've got a lot of love in your heart. You're a good guy. You are. Uh, graphic design is what you do, but you have other abilities too. You have a, you're much smarter and more gifted than people even give you credit for. And go, you, the graphics are okay, but there's other talents God's going to evolve in your life more. You got it? Yeah. There's a healing and reconciliation in your own family. I see God rebuilding a relationship that has just been completely destroyed, that God's going to heal. And then you never, it, you could not see it coming. And God's going to do that to help heal you and them. Thank you. All right. My lips are sealed. I ain't saying nothing. 
I've got some time still, Pastor Cindy. Okay, you don't mind. All right, thank you. What's your name with the glasses? So with the uh, mm, grayish hair, yeah. GM, and next to you is your daughter and my wife. Hello, wife. What's your name? Karen. Hi, Karen. You want to stand? This is your, and your daughter. May as well stand up too. So, what do you do, sir? For the Navy. <laughs> this you know because you go there? So when he's yelling, he's working? Must be the Navy. <laughs> How many kids do you guys have? Just the one. All right, so are you a technician, you say, for the Navy. All right. Interesting man in so many ways, so much talent. To, if you could manage your time, you would have your own business from your own home. You'd do things with your hands and finish things you start if you would just manage your time a little better. Because you have the ability. You're very smart. You can fix anything. Really, you can. But you just don't get to it all because you don't manage the time well. Just manage it a little better. And uh, I don't know, there seems a lot of steam in that family. There seems a lot of, you say he's yelling at the phone, but it's a lot of stuff going on in that family. My goodness. <clears throat> all of you, all of you, just uh, dysfunctionals, what can I say? But then I, well, I can tell you, I haven't met a family that's not dysfunctional yet. Every family has dysfunctionality. That's why we only have one Thanksgiving. We're glad when they come and we're more glad when they go. So you have the one child. What's your name, honey? Josephine. Josephine, how old are you? And what are you doing right now? College. What? English. So you want to do what you want to become? Writing. Writing? Is that what you're planning on doing? You'd be a good teacher because you're a really good communicator. You have a way of understanding what needs to be said and you say it. The difficulty I have with you is you've been very lonely. You've had a very lonely childhood. Your parents can't be your buddies. They just can't. They're your parents. And that's all you've ever had. But I promise you, in your 20s, you will have so many good friends. So many. It's part of your journey. God protected you from the wrong friends. Because you have a sensitive heart. As smart as you are, you are very smart. You have your dad's brains. Mom still has hers. <clears throat> So you're very smart. They were unused anyway. They just were brand new. But you're very smart and you need to use that. And you, you, I believe you'll be a school teacher, high school teacher. I believe that's God's plan for you. And you do a really good job. But just God's building confidence into you because you fold like a cheap tent when things go wrong. And, and that needs to, you need to grow beyond that because you're very capable. Do you understand? And you don't think you're beautiful. You're the strangest thing about yourself. You don't think you're pretty. And you, think, you need to stop that. God doesn't make mistakes. Everyone thinks they're not pretty enough. I need to stop that. It's getting old and boring now. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. Amen. Do you understand that? <laughs> My sister, the only thing I'd like to see you change is that let God do some of the fighting for you. Because every battle you go to, you want to go fix everything and fight and go to war. Even if someone, the shopkeeper doesn't do it right, you want to go fight for your rights. If we can just let God fight for you. And you say that, but then you let him do it, okay? It'll, it'll, it'll help a whole lot. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
No wonder you're yelling on the phone. I'd be yelling on the phone too. Yeah. But you are a talented man with your hands. You're very gifted. You can fix anything electronic, actually. I see a lot of um, soldering and little things you're doing, fixing that, that couldn't be fixed. They said it couldn't be done. And you build things. So God wants to do all that in your family. You're a blessing. Are you in this church? I'm glad. Because you're going to grow here. If you, if you join the Bible school, do the world, world of graduate already. That would be the world of good. You can teach it and just let it grow in you, the word. It's, thank, you. thank you guys so much. Are you bored yet? You're going to keep me going till the early hours of the morning. I can see it. I can see it. What's your name in front of you, sir, with those folded arms? Richard. Hi, Richard. This is your wife next to you? Yes. What's your name, young lady? Grace. Hi, Grace. And you guys are married? How long? 32. 32. That's wonderful. And children? <laughs> One, two. We don't know how many kids we have? Okay, she's lovely, and you have a son too. What do you do, sir? Uh, vending a vending technician. You have far more value than you give yourself. You're very realistic, and you've had so many battles in your life, and emotionally, and f even with people sort of growing up, that you've accepted certain value systems, and you need to change that. Because God doesn't value you on the way you value yourself, or people do. God loves what's inside of you. And you hold back and you just always selling yourself short. And I need you to know you're valuable not only to God but to us. We need you. We want you. And it's not just your abilities with your hands or technician. You have a lot of, to offer. You have a lot of depth inside of you. And it was a happy day when you were born. You cursed the day you were born. <coughs> we blessed the day you were born. It hasn't been for years, but when you were younger, you cursed it. Because you went through so much hell. You were sorry you were born. But we're glad you were born made a big difference. And the people in your family have said those words too. And so I put, curse those words to the ground that they have no effect in your life anymore. It's a good thing you were born because you're a blessing. And the best days of your life are still coming. That's God's promise. As for you, ma'am, you carry the world on your shoulders. Way too stressful about worry about everything. You want to fix everything, make everybody happy. You want to micromanage everything. This man's much more powerful than you ever even knew. You married him a long time, but he's smarter and much more powerful. He needs a fight. He actually excels under pressure. He hasn't had enough pressure. You take all the pressure. Let him have the pressure because he, he, the strength is in him. He can do it. And he can do it really well. Uh, as for you, my sister, you can't fix everything and you worry about finances. God's not poor. He's got you covered. Just ask him and he'll make it, he'll make it happen. What's your son's name? Christian, God's got him. He's hounding that boy, hounding him. Wherever he goes, even at this moment, God's in his face. He cannot escape. He doesn't need you. He'll take care of it. He's got your prayers. They, they have already listed a long list in the book of remembrance of your prayers about your child. God will not forsake you. He's got you. Amen. He's got you. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jesus. I'm very happy about what I heard this morning, the building program, because you are going to a building complex, not just a church building. It's a whole complex because what God wants to do in this church is very different to what you have seen before. It's not the conventional, traditional, it's not the same as it's always been. It's going to be very different to be more impactful and relevant to our day and age in the community and God's 
evolving and growing many of you to function there. And it'll be a massive team effort together. And that's what this building, this whole complex that God is going towards. He's incubated a group here and faith and word and richness and a hunger in the hearts. Now he's taking it to a growth period where he's reach out. We say a lot of unchurched people, a lot of people that are misinformed, not just not informed, they misinformed that you're going to bring healing and correction and make it, keep it simple but full of life and many of you many of you in this room have been groomed by the holy ghost and by the word to do that so god's creating that whole platform to touch the lost not just only those that don't know jesus but especially those that once knew him the ones that were once in churches that are unchurched now these are there's a population that are crying to god god will not forsake the many years of prayer before you even came or born here there have been prayers for years this is one of the hardest emotional spiritual areas because people have forsaken the lord they didn't need him here in this area and so god's calling and moving by his spirit because of the prayers of his people and so he's getting you ready to as an army of God to do this and it's been one long hard battle for some but God will bring the victory for all of you watch the goodness of God because he does not change can you say amen to that all right come pastor